For podcasts, articles, and more, find us on NewstalkSTL.com. Power Punch. Get charged up on the truth. Now, Power Punch with Larry Barons on News Talk STL. That's right. You have stumbled upon Power Punch. We tell the truth here and we're unapologetic. The truth is unvarnished. And this week, <laughs> laugh to keep from crying. It has been an unbelievable week of both tragedy and failure. And so, if you've made it this far, congratulations. Thank you for sticking with us. We're going to we're going to try. I'm going to try to walk you through it and you know, I wish I could have one of those guarantees of like, hey, at the at the end, it, it's all going to be okay. All, here's what I know. We are 1 month into 2024. Ben Shapiro is the top rapper. Um there's a conspiracy about the presidential election that involves Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. And that's just the stuff that we can stomach. Obviously, uh, disaster and tragedy and, I'll say it, failure going on in the Middle East as we speak. You know, Fox News uh, Friday afternoon started with the headlines of U.S. retaliatory strikes in Iran. And at first, it's, it's hard to see what is going on. But there are a few things that uh, pop into my mind as we look into what is happening. First of all, I'll be the first to admit. I am no military expert in any way, shape, or form, and I trust those that are. I trust that they know the right time, the right way, the right process to attack. But I think it's a fair question, particularly from an administration who lost, like literally misplaced their secretary of defense, and then, oh, by the way, tried to hide it from the president and then tried to hide it from the rest of us. I think they've opened themselves up to to more than a few questions at the Pentagon. And we had the devastating loss of three American heroes last weekend. And it took them how many days to respond? And and I know there's there's a lot of camps here, and I know there's there there's a lot of feeling. I, I know the Lindsey Grahams probably wanted it to happen microseconds after. Uh, we learned of the killing of American soldiers. And then there's others, uh, the Tucker Carlson's of the world, who make a great point of, you know, we're just marching closer and closer to war. What are our troops doing there in the first place? Fair questions all around. But all, all I can think of is Iran and their proxies know that there will be consequences when you spill American blood. And we gave them days upon days upon days to prepare, move around commanders, infrastructure, weapons, and, and then a retaliatory, uh, you know, soundbite from Iran saying, you're not going to strike our territory or we'll get you back. We, we had a whole week. And, and I, I, I got to admit, I was a little flustered. And if someone wants to correct me on this, feel free. But I was more than a little flustered to have nearly 48 hours of headlines that said, Joe Biden has decided what he's going to do to respond to Iran. Again, I'm no military expert, but I have to ask the question of, if you are signaling that you are going to do something, why would you give them so much time to prepare? And then why would you 
tell them, oh, I've made a decision and then not make a move on that decision? Why don't you do the thing you're going to do and then talk about your decision afterwards? And, and I know, I know the line that, that is famous now coming out of the Pentagon is, we, you know, a time and place of our choosing. I, I, I understand all of that. But they waited so long if you're going to do it. And, and there is, I'm not going to say conspiracy theory, but there was someone on Twitter who opined about the timing. And, and as I saw the, the headlines on Fox News Friday afternoon of retaliatory strikes, it made me scratch my head because they said this on Thursday. And what they said, and they're, they're a, a group, I won't uh, say directly, but they're a group that follows, you know, uh, it's called open source intelligence. They try to see the planes and try to see what's going on. And they made the remark that says, the retaliatory strike's probably not going to happen tonight, probably not going to happen tomorrow night. He says, I bet you Friday afternoon after the oil markets have closed for the weekend so that it doesn't destabilize oil markets. And, and I'm thinking to myself, if this guy on Twitter can figure it out, I bet you Iran can figure it out. I don't understand the logic and somebody knows better than me. I'm sure more than a couple somebodies. I just don't understand the logic of waiting for oil markets before you do something to defend our soldiers and our troops. Is that, is that the determining factor now? Is Joe Biden so scared of his energy failures that he feels like he has to have timing for military operations based upon when energy markets close? That is, that, that is where we are right now. And I, I, I've mentioned, I'll mention it one more time for the kids in the back. Not a military expert in any way, shape, or form. There could be, uh, I, I have to be open to the fact that there could be, um, you know, wisdom and, and thoughts behind doing it, the timing that they did and why. And, it, you know, I know there's more than a ton of logistics involved. And I know it, what is happening is so much bigger than my little issue with timing. But as the energy guy, as I watch energy things, I have to wonder, why is the president of the United States waiting for the price of oil to settle over a weekend before taking retaliatory military action. And they'll deny it and they'll say that it is, but I just, and, and right now the evidence is circumstantial and coincidental. All I know is I saw someone I trust say, this could be why they're waiting so long. And I have to, if that is the case, you and I and both and everyone else should just feel rage about the fact that this guy talking about your president, Joe Biden has messed up American energy so bad that not only do we have to beg Saudi Arabia for more oil, do we have to beg Venezuela and make dirty deals with them for more oil? But we have to wait till we can do the things we want to do militarily because he's worried about the world oil market. It's, and, and again, it's fascinating to me that he seems to care about the price of the pump now and not when he cancels Keystone, not when he takes, you know, he tells little climate activists that he's going to ban fracking. It, it, none of that. All of a sudden he's, oh, that's right. It's 2024. Homeboy's up for, you know, his annual performance review. Can someone wake him up? So here's what I do know. 
And here's what I'm going to share with. And this is, uh, uh, let's, uh, I'm going to let you hear from Senator Sullivan from Alaska who, who gets it in a lot of ways. Because as we're looking at things uh, with Iran on the other side of the proverbial geopolitical war chessboard, we need to see uh, what we're up against. This is Senator Sullivan. We should be reimposing sanctions on the oil and gas sector, on their ballistic missile sector. Let me give you one statistic. End of the Trump administration, Iran had about $4 billion in foreign reserves. That's not a lot, okay? Biden comes in, lifts sanctions. They're, they're exporting oil like crazy, natural gas like crazy. Their foreign reserves right now are north of $70 billion. The Iranians, that's what they're funding these terrorist proxies, Hamas, Hezbollah, the Houthis with. That's what you need to do for a comprehensive, strategic, long-term policy of reestablishing deterrence. It's not easy. The Trump administration did it. Biden's been weak. they got to redo this. We've talked about it on the show before, and I'm going to talk about it again because it bears absolute repeating. We have a president that has allowed billions, record billions, to flow to Iran. I, I need only take you back to November of last year. This is from the Wall Street Journal. Biden keeps the billions flowing to Iran. You'd think the Biden administration would have realized by now that enriching the Iranian regime is a dangerous mistake. Here's what happened. Here's how it works. Joe Biden wants to be, he, he, I, 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 guess, I think he's probably jealous of the fact that Donald Trump, you know, got the U.S. embassy. He, he did, Donald Trump did more for Mideast Mid peace and isolating Iran than Joe Biden ever could. And so Joe Biden had this feeling of, well, I have to, you know what would make me better than Trump? I, if, I, if I resurrected Barack's Iran nuclear deal, well, well Mr. President, Iran's not going to come to the table. No, no, I'll give them all these sweet goodies and they'll come to the table and they'll, we'll just love them to death. That's it. We'll just hug them a little closer. And I'm being... I, I, I don't want it to be misconstrued as disrespectful in light of what has happened over the past week, but that was the position of the United States of America to Iran up until the terrorist attacks of October 7th. We're just, we're just going to love them into giving up nuclear weapons. That, that was literally what their feeling is. And part of the love fest that Joe Biden had for Iran was looking the other way on Iranian oil. And when he looked the other way on Iranian oil, it wasn't just chump change that Iran was getting. And, and you have to remember, after October 7th, when everybody rightfully freaked out about the $6 billion that was unfrozen, that was chump change compared to what Joe Biden let flow into Iran. And what did Iran do with the money, by the way? They're funding the guys that are shooting missiles at us. And a whole lot more we probably don't know about. Joe Biden gave them the money to do it by looking the other way on oil sanctions. Iran then took their oil and sold it cheaper because sanctioned oil doesn't have to worry about the market price. Hey, are, are you upset that, you know, you're paying $80 a barrel uh, countries? We'll sell it to you for half. Guess who said yes to that deal? China said yes to that deal. Venezuela said yes to that deal. And Iran had record revenue for oil. And then when they took in that money, we now know what they are doing with it. And, and I say we now know, we always knew what they were going to do with it. 
And it's not theoretical anymore, right? This is what Joe Biden has done. He has allowed Tehran to get rich because he did not put his thumb down on oil sanctions that, yes, Donald Trump did. I mean, isn't it incredible that if we, uh, you, you remember the leftist arguments, you like Donald Trump, it'll be World War III. He's mentally unstable. It's going to be war in the Middle East. Uh, I saw Donald Trump move the embassy to Israel's capital. I saw Qatar and other countries, I believe it was Qatar, don't quote me on this. I saw other countries who had never recognized Israel before, recognize Israel formally. Arab countries do that. And you know what else I saw? I saw that when the same guys that are shooting missiles now shot missiles at a Saudi oil field, you know what it did to the price of gasoline in the United States in 2018? Absolutely nothing. Because we had the strength of American energy independence. And I know what you leftists, leftists just, just shut it up today. I've had enough. I'm not, I'm not in the mood. Let's just go say, but Larry, we have more oil production than we did under Trump. Listen to me, granola eating knuckleheads. If you look at what we could have done if Joe Biden had not kneecapped American industry, our allies would be stronger. We would be stronger. And we wouldn't have to wait for oil markets to close to allow our men and women in uniform to do their job. We probably still would have lost the Secretary of Defense because that's what Joe Biden does. This is the crazy world we're living in. When I said unbelievable, that's exactly what I meant. Iran exported nearly 1.4 million barrels of oil per day. This was just like last October. And that was its average for all of 2023. And that is up 80%. 80% from what Iran averaged under President Trump's maximum pressure strategy. Iran has been able to get away with 80% more oil. That's 80% more money under Joe Biden. And now we see what they are doing with the dollars. And now we see how the pain at the pump is real. The pain at the grocery store is real. But the failure at this level is literally life and death. And I wish now I could transition to say, don't worry, we got good news coming up, but, uh, but we don't because your president did something else this week and uh, put a guy in charge of something that, well, it, it, it just, I'm going to have, let's tell you what, let's take a break. I'm going to run and puke and then I'll tell you about it right after this. You're listening to Power Punch. Stick with us. Get more Power Punch at NewstalkSTL.com. What's the matter this is Power Punch with Larry Barons on News Talk STL. For podcast articles and more, find us on NewstalkSTL.com. Get charged up on the truth. Now, Power Punch with Larry Barons on News Talk STL. Welcome back for another, can I say, dare I say, action-packed segment 
of Power Punch, where we talk the unvarnished truth about energy. And in this case, Joe Biden's massive green agenda failures. And I feel like uh, I, I'm trying to paint a verbal picture of the life that, that we're all living right now. I try to explain to you, you know, uh, hey, prices are high at the grocery store. You're like, yeah, guy on the radio. I know. Hey, prices are terrible at the pump. Uh, yeah, yeah, we all know. And so, uh, you know, it's it's not easy having the, the position of trying to tell you how things are the way they are because I feel like you're the experts on it and I'm trying to get over the imposter syndrome here, but I have a pretty good idea as to why. And I think you do as well. Let's give some details because you know, your lefty friends uh, are going to come, you know, armed to the teeth with how much they love uh, sleepy Joe. And we're going to have to uh, nicely remind them of the truth. And it happened this week, your friend and mine, John Kerry. Oh, saying his name just brings visions of my head of who, who, who was it? Oh yeah. Losing a general election 2004. Hey, do you remember when John Edwards was his running mate? Remember John Edwards? Yeah, this is, this is, uh, that gives you an insight. Uh, John Kerry wanted John Edwards to be a heartbeat away from the presidency. If John Kerry wasn't a robot. That's, that's what, I mean, that was 20 years ago, kids. Is that not insane? And, and this guy is, I think, finally out of a government job. You know, for a wealthy guy, he's sure on the government dole a whole lot, that John Kerry. Well, he uh, uh, took off this week because he's going to, uh, I don't know, uh, run some drum circle somewhere up there in Massachusetts to try to get Biden reelected. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know what he's going to do, but I'm sure he's going to do it fly, flying a private jet. But I need to just get this one little reminder to you about John Kerry. John Kerry was appointed the climate envoy in January 2021 when Sleepy Joe first came into the White House. And since then, John Kerry has not provided a single email from his little uh, secret office running there. It runs on the State Department, but really it's the White House. He hasn't, he's been... Uh, next to no information about that little office that, he, that he's running that impacts every one of our lives, right? You know, I, you have to wonder, these bans on the gas stoves, these forced EV mandates, and all of these thing, crazy ideas, coming, are they coming out of John Kerry's office? Well, John Kerry won't say. And, and it was two plus years ago that the Boston Herald started filing records requests, and I think suing, to try to find out how John Kerry was spending your tax dollars. And he said, no, no, I'm not going to tell you. And then he was in his, in his moment, just so magnanimous, John Kerry. He said, I'll tell you, but I'll tell you in October, 2024. Literally two years ago, he said, I will tell you one month before the 2024 presidential election. And then shocker, here we are, arriving at 2024, and John Kerry's like, yeah, I'm out. I'm sure he's going to keep that promise, right? He's such a liar. And, and you know, when Joe Biden sees someone who performed as abysmally as John Kerry did, the thought that goes through his head is probably, oh, can Hunter do that job? No, no, Hunter can't do that job. But he found the next best thing. Republican leaders have told Fox News Digital that they are concerned about President Biden's appointment of White House advisor John Podesta 
to replace John Kerry as America's top climate diplomat. It was an announcement that happened late Wednesday this week. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan announced the personnel move, saying Podesta would serve a critical role in overseeing international climate negotiations, especially as nations developed their next round emissions targets. But the appointment of Podesta, who has a close relationship with Chinese officials, sparked concern among Republicans. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing that sparks concern. Let's get a little history on John Podesta, shall we? John Podesta was Bill Clinton's chief of staff in the White House. John Podesta was Hillary Clinton's campaign manager in 2016. John Podesta, while Donald Trump was in office, was the guy that went to work for a whole bunch of green agenda companies. They all had him on the board and, oh, look, John Podesta, John Podesta. And then magically in 2022, when Joe Biden passed his laughably named Inflation Reduction Act, he was like, oh my gosh, look at this. We've got $378 billion, more than the budget of the United States Navy. $378 billion. Who's going to be in charge of that? You know who could really be in charge of that? Bill Clinton's chief of staff, John Podesta, come on down. And so John Podesta began taking secret meetings with you know, EV manufacturers who just, it's just a coincidence, guys. The EV manufacturers were losing a ton of money and John Podesta had a big fat pot of taxpayer money to be handing out. And it's just, it's just a coincidence that he went from working for green energy companies to then deciding how much taxpayer dollars those same green energy companies were going to get. Isn't it amazing so John Podesta appointed this week of the brand new climate czar. He's going to be in charge of those negotiations. I'm sure. I mean, the big guy getting 10%. I, I, I really think he's selling himself short. I really think uh, he, he could do it. Shortly after Biden picked Podesta to lead the White House Office on Clean Energy in 2022, Fox Digital reported that Podesta previously referred to top Chinese Communist Party officials as his friends and took several phone calls from them between 2015 and 2016. The report was based on emails reviewed and verified by Fox News Digital. Yeah. I, and and I, I mean, you would think, oh yeah, one of our the, the biggest adversaries of the United States and John Podesta is friends with them. But here's the thing. Anybody who is in the green agenda industry has to be friends with the Chinese. Because that's where all their stuff comes from. Here's a fun thing to do. Little, little side thing, kids. Fun thing to do. The next time you're around one of those big public, you know, solar panels used as a roof parking garages or, or any type of large solar installation, and you can actually look at the panels, maybe look at the back of them, do yourself a favor and look where they're made. And, and, and you won't see necessarily made in China, although a lot of them you will. You'll see things like made in Vietnam, made in Malaysia, made in the Philippines. It's all Chinese money. That's why John Podesta is in this gig. And, and you would think the low standard John Kerry set for this job. Hey, we, this is Joe Biden's reasonable thinking. Wink. Hey, hey I need someone to be a climate envoy. Uh, should I get a climate scientist? No. 
Should I get someone who negotiates things with people? No. Should I get someone who's who's maybe lived a, a normal life and, and, and tried to build a business? No. I want John Kerry. Predictably fails. And he thinks, golly, I can't really do worse than John Kerry, can I? And then some intern in the back is like, challenge accepted. Enter John Podesta. So congratulations, America. When you think of the guy who is going to be the front face to the world of foreign policy for you on the green agenda, think none other than the guy who has friends in the Chinese Communist Party, John Podesta, ladies and gentlemen. And, uh, and, and, and I'm sure Bill Clinton is not, you know, skimming any money off the top. And I, I feel, I feel, I, I laugh real quick, but I feel the need to say, to be, to, to be upfront, I am not suicidal in any way, shape or form. I'll just say that as I mentioned all the names that I've just mentioned. Well, you know what? It also happened uh, this week and we're going to, we're going to get into it a little bit, but uh, one of the things that Jaboy uh, John Podesta is going to be probably overseeing is how much money is going to go to those EV companies. Yeah, you know, the ones that, that aren't making any money. What? Yeah, that's right. You know them. You love them. The glorified golf carts known as EVs. Uh, catch them while you can. We welcome New Jersey car dealership owner Tom Maoli. Tom, yes. you, are you along with more than 4,700 other auto dealership yes. owners across the nation sent a letter to President Biden saying stop the crackdown on tailpipe emissions and stop the electric Correct. car push. Why? Why did you send the letter? Sign the letter, rather. Well, listen, the EVs are not selling. They're piling up on the lots. Look what's going on with Tesla. They lost 26% in value this week, $200 billion in their stock value. Hertz turned in all their EVs, over 100,000 EVs, and took a $250 million write-off. Ford's pulling back on production. And Musk came out and admitted that he said China is going to demolish the EV market. So where is this going? There's no chargers. There's no infrastructure. The consumers don't want them. That's right. <laughs> They're, 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 they're selling like hot potatoes and John Kerry, Joe Biden, John Podesta, well, they're not flying around private jets or Air Force One or in 26 car motorcades. They're telling you that EVs are the future, that, that, that it's technology so good that they have to force you to buy it. Hey, how is, uh, how, how is China going to make their billions from us? Iran's making their billions. How is China going to make their billions from us if we don't mandate these EVs? Well, it happened this week. And one of, I mean, I understand 2024 is early, but this may be one of my favorite stories of the year. If you, if you hadn't heard it, listen up. And here's the context. Joe Biden had about $7.5 billion in the infrastructure bill. And what it was going to do was it was going to build charging stations because you see, that's why people aren't buying EVs. It's not the, the, the terrible range. It's not the high price. It's not the fact that they don't work if you have the audacity to want to use the heater or the air conditioner while you're driving. No, 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 no. It's the fact that they don't have enough taxpayer subsidized wink gas stations. And so we're going to build the charging stations and they will usher in. And I'm sure, I'm, again, the fact that the big guy will get 10% of the construction will be just a coincidence. And so what they found was, A, they couldn't really build them that fast, but B, they, they had a conundrum because part of that money 
was supposed to go to low-income areas, right? The, the, the people in low-income areas, they need EV charging stations. That's why they're not buying EVs. Sure, they have to take out a second mortgage to get a loaf of bread, but, but it's this charging station that uh, is stopping them from getting an EV. And they, someone, probably some intern in the White House, correctly pointed out, uh, uh, Mr. President, we have a problem. Well, what's that, Jimmy? We'll call him Jimmy. Jimmy the intern. Hey, Jimmy, what, what, why are you trying to rain on Uncle Joey's parade? What's the problem? He goes, well, sir, if we spend all these billions to build charging stations in low-income areas, those people can't afford to buy an EV because they're not getting 10% kickback on everything. And so the stations will just sit empty and then people make fun of us for sitting empty. Well, what are we, Jimmy, what are we going to do about it? Sir, sir, I have a solution. What's your solution, Jimmy? We're going to take areas that are actually really rich and we're going to call them low income. That way, all those stooges who have already bought their EVs can then get free charge-ups, courtesy of the taxpayer. It happened this week. The Biden administration is classifying some of the country's most elite and exclusive locales as, no joke, low-income areas, making them eligible for electric vehicle charger subsidy programs. The tax credit program made possible from the <laughs> Inflation Reduction Act is specifically designed to route subsidies to low-income or non-urban areas of the country. That's beautiful. It was all part of the Biden administration's wider pursuit of environmental justice. So, what kind of places did they put? The low-income places did they put on this? You ready for it? Montauk and Fisher's Island in New York and parts of Martha's Vineyard and Nantucket in Massachusetts. That's why John Kerry's leaving. He's going to get a charging station for free next. Well, I mean, free for him. So, he, you know what? He'll be able to take that sweet EV. People will stop calling him a hypocrite as he gets on the private jet. Because <laughs> it was, you know what, this reporter should look at it. Will John Kerry's residents now be considered in a low-income neighborhood so that they can qualify for these EV chargers? And so that is where you're at today with the Biden administration. It is nothing more than welfare for the wealthy. Can't afford an EV? It doesn't matter. We're going to use taxpayer dollars to build those charging stations in places where the wealthy have already bought them. Oh, Maybe now they can get a second one. That's what happened this week. So congratulations to Martha's Vineyard, the newest low-income part of the United States. And in and, and, and Uncle Joe's, Sleepy Joe's defense, the guy who's getting, you know, 10% cutback from everything, someone only making a cool couple million a year may qualify to low income, to Joe Biden's mind. I digress. Hey, we're coming back for in a little bit here, and uh, we're going to talk about how those EVs are deadlier, and I'm going to tell you something besides the football game to watch for in this Super Bowl. Stay with us. Get more Power Punch with Larry Barons at NewstalkSTL.com. This is Power Punch with Larry Barons on Newstalk STL. For podcasts, articles, and more, find us on NewstalkSTL.com. Get charged up on the truth. You're listening to Power Punch with Larry Barons on News Talk STL. Speak to me and 
Well, you've gone and done it. You have made it through almost a whole episode of Power Punch. Congratulations to you. Yeah, the EV range is getting low. It's our last segment, and uh, we're going to try to make the most of it because we are going to give you the unvarnished truth of what is going on. And I promised you that we would talk about the Super Bowl, and by golly, we will coming up in just a little bit. But here's a story that I needed you to, to be aware of. And you may have seen it from the Associated Press, which I have to be honest, takes me, I'm a taken back a little bit because the Associated Press is the organization that used to be the gold standard for reporting. And it, it just, within the last four years, probably longer, but okay, we'll say the last four years has just fallen off. And, and you know why? I'll, I'll tell you why. A little quick detour here. So the Associated Press, you know, back in the olden days, we had these things, kids, called newspapers. They were written on actual paper. They would be delivered to your homes. And in some cases, your paper had your local news on the first few pages. And then it would go to a wider area, maybe news from the region, news from the country, news from the world. And you would see these things. It was called a dateline. And the dateline would be a city where something was happening. And then you see a little parentheses, AP. And that was the Associated Press. And so that meant that a reporter who wrote something that was either part of the Associated Press, it can get picked up and reprinted thousands upon thousands of times. It's called syndication, widespread distribution, and the media lived off of it forever. And they were considered the gold standard because it was so reproduced that if the Associated Press wrote it, people were like, well, the Associated Press, why I never, I mean, I know it's funny to say today, but you know, it happened, I think two or three years ago that they got, I forgot how much it was. I want to say the number was around $8 million, which, you know, in John Kerry, Joe Biden, John Podesta, Michael Bloomberg money is pretty, it's pretty chump change, to be honest with you. That's just in the cushions of the couch on the private jet. Is that $8 million? And they give it to the Associated Press. So the Associated Press could hire a bunch of reporters to report on climate. And, and just think about this for a second. Someone comes at you with an $8 million check and they say, listen, 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 we're not going to tell you how to report, but here's 8 million just to cover the subject. And would you, as a rational, objective person think, oh, wow, it's 8 million that I can hire more people. And even if they write something that this donor who just handed me a check doesn't like, it'll be okay. Cause those checks will keep coming. Or would you think that, oh, if I don't write what this guy likes, the checks will stop coming. Guess which one the Associated Press chose? And so they were paid $8 million to hire a bunch of reporters to exclusively cover climate. They super duper pinky promise that they're still objective and wonderful. Results have said, have shown to be different, but they did write this. And this is out of the metropolis. And look at there's the dateline, just as I was describing to you. Lincoln, Nebraska, parentheses AP. I'll just read it to you straight. And, and, and you can tell me, you can tell me how you feel. And by how you feel, I mean, you can continue to yell at the radio because I, I, I can't hear you. Electric vehicles that typically weigh more than gasoline-powered cars can easily crash through steel highway guardrails that are not designed to withstand the extra force. It's raising concerns about the nation's roadside safety system, according to crash test data released this week by the University of Nebraska. Uh, uh, stick with me. Electric vehicles typically weigh 
20 to 50% more. Oh, that's where your cost is going. It's in weight. They typically weigh 20 to 50% more than gas-powered vehicles thanks to batteries that can weigh almost as much as a small gas-powered car. Just the battery. And they have lower centers of gravity because these differences, guardrails can do little to stop electric vehicles from pushing through barriers typically made of steel. They are so heavy and made in such a way that they cannot be stopped by steel guardrails. And, and think about this. If, uh, if, if, you know, a steel guardrail can't stop it, what does that do? For pedestrians, last fall, engineers at Nebraska's Midwest Roadside Safety Facility watched as an electric-powered pickup truck hurtled toward a guardrail installed on the facility's testing ground on the edge of the local municipal airport. The nearly four-ton, yeah, 2022 Rivian, oh yeah, those guys are losing a bunch of money, 2022 Rivian tore through the metal guardrail and hardly slowed until hitting a concrete barrier yards away on the other side. Tearing through steel, like paper. That is, I, I, I mean, I, you, you see those videos where they test seatbelts with the crash test dummies and you've never really felt sympathy for the wall that the vehicle hits into. But now with vehicles that way, it's it, the, the truck by itself is nearly four tons, but that's okay because it has, um, what is that? Oh yeah, a range of 15 miles. So it's, it's worth it. It's totally worth it. <sighs> the university released the results of the crash test at a time when rising popularity. Oh, here we go. Here's what the 8 million gets you. When the time of rising, uh, rising popularity of electric vehicles has led transportation officials to sound the alarm over the weight disparity of the new battery powered vehicles. Oh yeah, rising popularity. Did we not just hear from a car dealer who sent a letter to the president who says the, the EVs are stacking up. And maybe that's the only way you can store them is stacking on each other. They're so heavy. Here's, let me, let me tell you, let me get, let's, let's, let's huddle in real quick. And I'm going to talk to you about one of the most boring subjects ever. It's called transportation policy. Work with me on this. When you drive on the roads, there is what's called wear and tear on those roads, not only on your vehicle, but on the road itself. And engineers, in the transportation industry, estimate how long a road can last depending on how many cars travel and by the weight of those vehicles. So, for example, when you pay for a gallon of gasoline, the federal tax on that goes to maintain for the roads because it assumes when you drive those miles for the gasoline that you're putting in the car, there's wear and tear on the roads that they're going to have to repair. And so that's part of the gasoline tax. Semi-trucks, the guys that keep America moving, well, they pay more in that tax because they're bigger and heavier, right? And, and, and that's why they get weighed more because more weight equals more wear and tear on the roads. And, and I, I feel woefully stupid, but let me just point out, if everyone now has not a three-quarter ton, but a four-ton pickup, what is that going to do to the roads? How quickly... Will the roads diminish? It's okay. There's, it's not like there's potholes or anything now on the roads. It'll, it'll all be fine. It'll all be ugh, completely fine. Hey, here's the last one of the week. As you get ready to enjoy the Super Bowl, 
I, I don't know who I'm rooting for. I got to be honest with you. Uh, it, it's uh, this and, and I'm not going to be able to I, I mean, I'm not going to talk about the Super Bowl and mention the TNT situation, if you know what I'm talking about. So I, I deserve I mean, I hit me like five stars on Uber or whatever you want to rate me on. Yeah, I deserve credit for that. But I'm going to talk about this. This is a little it's a little ditty I wrote. It's not a song. It's an op-ed. A little op-ed I wrote last year. And so keep that in mind. This was uh, information that was relevant of last year. And you're, you're going to see in a little bit um, why I, uh, I put that qualifier in. So if you watch the Super Bowl any number of years over the past few years, it, pick any year. But especially if you're like one of the, I don't know, 100 million plus people that watch, you know, the most watched television event. We all know the commercials are a big deal. And uh, let's just uh, let's just go back in a little history of some of these commercials because what we have found is that you know companies understandably like to have their biggest products on display. And what cool big product have they been showing in the Super Bowl for at least the last nine years? During the 2015 version of the big game, you remember this one? You can look up the, the ad. It's still on the internets. Katie Kirk and Brian Gumbel reunited for a reunion, and they lightly embraced their comical skepticism of the internet in 1994. You remember when they first talked about the internet email addresses? Like, no one's going to use that. This internet thing's not going to take off. And then, you know, they got pointed as Luddites that say, oh, you just didn't see the internet was going to be a big thing. Well, now we fast forward a few years and they were behind the wheel of a BMW i3. And their message from this commercial from 2015 was clear. The car will be just like the internet in a few years, underestimated at your own peril. So here it is. Two, two highly paid people sitting in an EV in 2015. And they're making a joke of like, oh yeah, this will never be big. And the thing that we're supposed to pull from it is, oh, it's going to be big. The BMW is going to, BMW i3, oh, it's going to be fantastic. Well, as we stand here today, the BMW i3 is no longer in production. It was discontinued in 2021. One article blamed its failure on it just being too darn small for some Americans. It was, it was a small car. But here's where I would say a reasonable person might argue that after eight years in production, a price tag of $45,000, it was a car that only had a range. I am not making this up. It had a range of 153 miles. And if you plugged it into your wall to charge at home, it would take 11 to 12 hours to fully charge. This was a Super Bowl commercial in 2015 where they tried to tell you this was going to be the future. During the big game in 2020, remember this guy? Have you seen one on the road? I'd be fascinated to hear if you have. The Hummer EV made its debut as the nation's collective jaws dropped. Here was the poster child for gas-guzzling extravagance, switching sides to play for Team EV. Labeled, they called it, the quiet revolution. None other than LeBron James was in the ad to show you its gravitas. So, what they didn't say in that commercial was that there were two versions of the Hummer of an EV Hummer and they started at nearly $80,000 and went up to past $100,000, probably higher now. The SUV version of the Hummer isn't available until maybe now, 
a full three years after the ad. Production was so slow that one media outlet noted that those already in line would have to wait 17 years to get their EV. I have a feeling if it's out there, I should have followed up on this. Larry at powerthefuture.com. Can anybody let me know how the Hummer EV is doing? And here's one of the favorite ads. And, uh, and, and this is the one we'll end on because it's, <laughs> it's something that, uh, that, that got more than a little attention. It was three years ago now that Will Ferrell went to Norway because they sell more EVs per capita than the United States. And Hollywood elites asking why America can't be more like socialist Scandinavia is nothing new, but left on the cutting room floor were the dirty details. To achieve their massive EV sales, Norway offers a bunch of giveaway, including no taxes on an EV, on registration or fuel, and they waive the sales tax and a 50% reduction in road taxes. They throw money at you in Norway to get the EVs. Yet after all the incentives, gas-powered vehicles still make up 80% of the cars on the road in Norway. Sound familiar? And then, of course, let's go to the Super Bowl in 2022. Dr. Evil trying to what save the world so he can take over the world. No electric cars are mentioned, but you get to laugh and feel good. And that's the important part. This year, Will Ferrell was back, uh, let's see, telling us that Netflix will now embrace EVs. How's that work? And so, all that to say, watch, uh, as you watch the game this year, take a moment to appreciate those EVs that they're uh, pushing on you. See if it's available. And let's take a moment to appreciate a media that dutifully doesn't do any type of checking to see if previous Super Bowl added products never made it to market. This is after all the millions and billions of dollars that you and I and Joe Biden have thrown at these products that really nobody wants. So let's call it the game within the game. I don't, I don't know if the gambling websites are going to have a, that, that would be interesting. What's the parlay on this EV ever making it to market? Oh, 17 years. Okay. That's what, that's what uh, I'm probably going to get in trouble for that one. That's not the only thing I'm going to get in trouble for. Thank you so much for listening. I can't appreciate, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Uh, I can, but I, I, I'm out of time. Thanks for listening. Big thanks to Ken Williams for producing the show. I appreciate it so much. And always, always take some chance and enjoy some power punch get more power punch at newstalkstl.com power punch with larry barons on news talk stl for podcast articles and more find us on newstalkstl.com